0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, and I'll give you a little bit of background so that it ties into our first four verses here. Last Wednesday, we went through uh, Jesus is in the northern part of the Galilee, around Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and the multitudes are gathering uh, by the thousands. We read that um, he fed 5,000 men, and then it says women and children, so we're talking 15,000. And then just a couple of days later, he feeds um, 4,000 with um, seven loaves and a couple of fish. But then it also says women and children. So if you just had one child and one woman, now you're up to 12,000. Now the reason, this is the last thing we read in Matthew 15, verses 32 to 30. He's commenting about the feeding of the 5,000. So, the word is all over. And as we begin 16, the miracles that have been done um, have been back to Jerusalem. So we read in verse 1 that the religious leaders had heard about all the commotion um, in the Galilee. Verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tested him, And they asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. They've been hearing him about all these miracles, all these signs. And indeed, I made the point last week that the only miracle that's repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only one that is consistent in in all four of of the Gospels. So there they're not really rejoicing. They're there to test him to prove the point. They want to see something miraculous. And he answered to them, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, in the context that this is given here, he was saying, just like the ones that followed him um, remember Matthew doesn't give us the account the real reason that the people followed him to the other side of the lake. John does. He said you guys are here today because just a couple of days ago your bellies were filled. And the real reason you're here is because you want to make me king so um, you'll be here for the food. He said one greater than the bread is here. He's referring to himself, and he's saying exactly the same thing to these scribes and Pharisees. You guys want to see a sign? You guys are missing the forest for the trees. It's not about the signs. It's about the one who's performing the signs. And that's what he's saying here. You, can, you think you're discerning, but you can't discern the signs of the times. I personally feel them being religious leaders and instructors should have been preparing the people for the Lord's coming simply because of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 gives the very day, April 6, 32 AD, when the Messiah would show up. And if they would have known the book of Daniel, they should have been teaching the people what to look for. And that's basically he's calling them out. You can discern the face of the sky, but you don't discern the signs of the times. Them of all people should have been preparing the people for what lies ahead. A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Again, he's referring to himself. As Jonah was three days, and people say, that crazy story about a big fish swallowing guy for three, you actually buy into that fish story? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus uses it as text proof for himself. He says, you want a sign? Okay. Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, and so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth uh, for three days and three nights. Um, Time to do a departure and talk about signs of the times. I believe that... um, People more than ever, right now with all that's going on, should be telling the flock, I hope you guys are ready, and I hope you're watching, looking for the signs because they're all over the place and they're happening exponentially. They're growing. Jesus said when it gets close to the end, it'll be like a woman who's in about to have a baby. They call them birth pains. And every gal here who's ever had a baby knows that the closer the time comes, the closer together they are, but also the more intense they are, until the child is birth. Now that's the Lord's own analogy about the last days. When are the last days? When Israel becomes a nation again? Uh, this last May fourteenth, it was seventy years. And um, go to uh, flip over to Matthew twenty four, just a couple of pages away. The disciples wanted to know, Lord, when are you coming, and what will be the sign of your coming? Well. The main sign that he, give, he gives is a parable um, of the fig tree. That's the sign that talks about the generation that won't pass away until they see all these things be fulfilled. But there are many signs that he gives us to watch for. Um, four times in Matthew 24, one of the biggest signs is false doctrine and false teachers. Um, Verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, will deceive many. Um, And that's repeated in verse 11, there will be many false prophets, so rise and deceive many. Um, It's also down in verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. So it's repeated over and over again. But I would like to go down to verse 7, where it talks about nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's actually ethnic group against ethnic group. I believe it's a personal reference to the the um, uh, the Shiites and the Sunnis in the Middle East. They hate each other more than they hate Israel. Matter of fact, it was on the news tonight that they're talking about the reality of of um, Assad. Um, using chemical weapons, chlorine, and I um, can't remember the other one. There was two different kinds of gases, and they were showing footage of it. Well, who were they? Well, they were Sunnis fighting against Shiites. And that, what's, what's going on there. And he says there will be famines. There's, there's famines taking place in, in uh, Africa right now. It's not even making the news That's, uh, that are off the charts. Pestilences. And then it says earthquakes in various places. And um, at this time, I would like you to take out your news bites, and I'm going to put something on the screen. There they are. Our friend Rob Yardley sent um, us a clip of um, uh, a Calvary pastor speaking at Coast in 2012, I actually watched it this afternoon. I learned more about earthquakes this afternoon than I ever imagined knowing about. Um, it's amazing, and I'll I'll come back and just comment on it a little bit. But um, as as we speak right now, let's go to the second paragraph of Earth's crust in turmoil, and I actually learned what that meant after watching. Uh, this message given at, at Costa Mesa in 2012. It says, overall, uh, volcano, uh, volcano discovery is reported that a total of 34 volcanoes around the world are erupting right now. So as, as we speak tonight, there are 34, and here they are on screen, active volcanoes uh, taking place. If we go down to... Uh, I can't read all this, but I encourage you to read it. Of course, the big ones are in Hawaii, Guatemala, and um, those are making the news. The one in Guatemala was making news again tonight. They're trying to go back um, for recovery efforts because they were caught off guard. Um, Go down to the paragraph where it says, there are definitely very large earthquakes, uh, but much greater concern were of the smaller earthquakes that happened on Sunday. Now, this is a record, what I'm about to read. 500 quakes struck the island in a 24-hour period, and that's an all-new time record. Another way of explaining this would be the birth pains are becoming more intense and they're coming close closer together. And, um, and we just set a record with this one uh, that's... Uh, last Sunday in Hawaii, where they had actually five hundred uh, earthquakes that's that 's an, an all time record lava flows three foot foot fields wide these are all things that should get our attention and um, um, the other page uh, more than twelve thousand earthquakes hit Big Island over the last thirty days so I hope this catches your attention. I could spend the rest of the Bible study just talking about earthquakes. Let me just tell you one little story that I heard that piqued my interest. Because if Yellowstone ever goes, uh, it could put us back into the Dark Ages really quick. So one of the things that's just happened at Yellowstone is um, uh, one particular lake in Yellowstone um, they noticed that the waters were rising on one end of the lake and going into the forest and killing the trees. And on the other side of the of the lake, it was actually had gotten a whole lot shallower. They couldn't figure out what was going on until they bring the survey guys in, and they said it's happening because of the bulge in the crater. As the crater is bulging upward because of the magna underneath it, it's like he compared it to, Tipping a plate. If you tip a plate, you know the water's going to go to that one side. That's what's happening in Yellowstone right now. Now, that is uh, one of the largest um, quakes that ever happened. How many of you have ever been to Yellowstone and seen all the geysers? I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Jackson Hole and, and uh, Yellowstone Park and and go around and see the, uh, the geysers and Old Faithful. It's quite a thing to see. But it's actually a, a huge volcano that erupted, and um, I like it because he explains it all with the flood. And um, it says, "And the fountains of the deep were broken up." It's like the seams of a baseball. If you look at this here, you know how it goes. You see how it goes, and almost in a circle. They call it the ring of fire, except it's actually a horseshoe. Well, what the brother was doing that was explaining this is he says that the part between, um, um, oh, New Zealand and then on the other side would be um, um, South America, where that that ring would go down that way. There's 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 a gap between the two. Well, he went into a lot of detail explaining what, why that's there, and. Um, I hope that piques your interest enough to call the office and find out how you can get a hold of that DVD. Um, I have to leave it there because we're only into four verses. Um, but in Matthew 24, the Lord said one of the signs would be an increase in earthquakes and then it says in various places. All right, let's go back to Matthew 16. Verses 5 through 12. And when his disciples had come to the other side. They had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they talked amongst themselves. And um, they, they came and they said, Well, it's because we've taken no bread. We forgot the bread again. And Jesus per- perceived it. And he said to them, Oh, you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourself because you brought no bread? Don't you guys understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? How many baskets were taken up? Twelve were taken up. Nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? But you should beware of leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's flip this around. When we were in the parables, go back to Matthew 13, and we have the parable of the leaven in verse 33. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures in meal till it was all leavened. And that's the only explanation that is really given to us there. A lot of commentators say, well, that's what happens when the church hears a gospel. It it spreads, and as a result, the um, those who hold to dominionism or kingdom now theology will use this parable to say, see, The gospel is going to go into all the world, just like leaven spreads all through the loaf of bread. No, leaven, without exception, is always a reference to sin and something not good. And when we were in this a couple weeks back, I had you turn to Matthew chapter 16. And we read this very verse where it says, Take heed of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. He calls them hypocrites. They had their self-righteousnesses um, off the chart. In Matthew 23, the whole, pretty much the whole chapter, except for 37 um, to the end, is really Jesus' condemnation of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Pick it up um, Let's just pick it up in verse 13. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And here's the big difference between religion. Stalin is right. Religion is the opiate of the people. It gives them a sense of self-worth, a sense of belonging, if you belong to a traditional mainline Roman Catholic or Protestant church. But religion is religion. And um, when the Lord said that the tax collectors and the harlots are going to make it into heaven before the scribes and the Pharisees, well, the disciples' mind went, kaboom! What do you mean? Tax collectors and prostitutes are going to go to heaven? Before the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the good guys. They're the righteous guys. No, they're the self-righteous guys. And religion can keep you out of heaven. What's the difference between a Pharisee and a prostitute? The answer is a prostitute knows she's a sinner. And a Pharisee has a self-righteousness. And in order to be saved, you have to acknowledge your sin and repent. There is no... Um, Um, what's the terminology that I like to use there? I hate being 67. (laughs) It was right there. There's no conviction. If I wait long enough, it'll come, you see. There's no conversion without conviction. That's the term right there. You have to be convicted. And a tax collector, take Zacchaeus. He was convicted. He had supper with Jesus and he came out and he says, anybody ripped off, I'm going to pay him back four times. Well, the law said you only had to pay him back twice. But um, they got on him for being in the house of a tax collector. He says, he, he's one of us. He's Jewish. And salvation has come to this house today and you guys aren't rejoicing. And so we read... That religion actually can be dangerous. Woe to you, verse 14, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make a long prayer. In other words, you know, this would be, I would liken it today to the um, prosperity teachers that have these little old ladies that are living on their social security. Saying, if you sow your seed faith to this organization, it's going to come back and bless you a hundredfold. So take your seed faith and plant it into my ministry. And that's make, taking advantage of, um, of devouring widows' houses. Um, and they see these guys on TV. And because they're on TV, they think uh, they can be trusted. But in reality, they're just ripping her off. And they're charlatans. And then it says, uh, and for a pretense, make a long prayer. I had an experience at the Wailing Wall several years ago. I'll make the story short. Um, I was actually praying at the Wailing Wall, but just off to the side, there's, there's a library. And the rabbis go in there, and they'll be studying and praying. And I thought I'd just go in and check it out. I've been in there many times. And this one guy comes up to me, and he, he asks me my, my name, and... I told him my name. He says, where are you from? And I told him where I was from. He says, uh, what's your wife's name? So I, I said, Judy. And he says, can I pray for you? And I said, well, this is cool. I got I got a, I got a rabbi that wants to pray for me. But he didn't want to pray for me right there. He says, well, come on, come on back to this room that we have here. And so we went back there, and he started praying for me, and he prayed for me by a name, and he prayed for Judy by a name, and he prayed for Appleton by a name, and he's just, Praying away, and when it was all said and done, I thought, "Well, this is great." Now I am going to pray for him. He wasn't expecting that, <laughs> so I just started um, praying. You know, the Lord, your word tells us that you will bless those who bless you, and you will curse those who curse you. Lord, just bless this guy for um, wanting to to pray for somebody that he doesn't even know. And I was in Jesus' name, Amen. I wanted to make sure I got that in. <laughs> And I was leaving, and I thought it was over. Well, he came up and tapped me on the shoulder, and he says, uh, uh, can you help us out with the children's fund and a donation? And, you know, I felt this verse right here. It was all a scam. The prayer, the, the, the motivation behind it wasn't to pray for me at all. He was on the take he was he was panhandling Bob Bennett's got a song panhandling at the wailing wall he tells the same story that happened to him where he went and realized the guy prayed over him and then he wanted to get paid for it afterwards they make this long prayer for a pretense that's what's exactly what's talking here you will receive the greater condemnation woe to you scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites travel land and sea to win a proselyte and when you've won him you make him twice as much a set of hell as you are oh let's go down to one more I like the whitewashed tomb ones verse 27 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites you're like the whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness Let's go back to 16 and put it in context. Disciples, look out. Christian, look out. Look out for the charlatans on TV. Look out for people that um, um, tell you that if you sow your seed faith to them, that it's going to come back and bless you a hundredfold. Find out who they are, mark them, and um, beware of them. It is 11 of the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to his disciples about. All right, verse 13 through 17, let's just take that. Caesarea Philippi. There's a Caesarea uh, real close to Tel Aviv. That's right on the Mediterranean, um, where Paul spent a couple of years in prison. And then there's Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's at the foothills of the Golan Heights in in northern Israel. So that's the setting. Uh, Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, he asked his disciples, saying, Well, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I can just see Peter's chest just sort of punching out a little bit. I got that one right. You guys hear that? Uh, the divine revelation God gave me from heaven. And then he says that I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The scripture that I just read is a cornerstone for Roman Catholicism, and Peter being the first pope. Now, let's. this is the Bible study that we'll give this November when we're actually at. This is an A site. We know exactly where this Bible study would have taken place. And when we read verse 18, if you look at, at it carefully, the question has to come up, On what rock did Jesus build his church? There are those who say it's built on Simon Peter. Um, If you go to Rome, St. Peter's Basilica, you'll see a great big statue of Peter, and he's holding the keys. They're taking it from Matthew 16, verse 18. He's got the keys to the kingdom. Um, But obviously it was not uh, there's a simply a play on words that's going on here. In the Greek um, language for Peter, it's uh, petros, or a little piece of rock. That's literally what it means. And uh, upon this rock, the next word, is a different Greek word that's pet- petra. And it means actually bedrock, or like the rock of Gibraltar. So you have two Greek words there. You have uh, Petra, little stone. Peter, you're a little stone, and then you have um, uh, Petra, which is the other Greek word here, and that is a reference to the Lord Himself. And I'll I'll come and we'll settle it with one verse out of Acts fifteen in just a second. But let me quote a couple times where Peter. Speak. Who is who is the rock? Well, the rock is Christ. The church is built upon Christ. When Peter, his own explanation of this in First Peter, if you're taking notes, it's First Peter two, verse four, referring to Christ, he writes, "To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious." Um. And then there's Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believes on him shall not be confounded. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Do you remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel's explaining of all the kingdoms that would come after Babylon? It was Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, the Roman, And in the days that we're living in, we see the world going towards this new world order where there will one day be a one world religion under the Antichrist. And there'll be ten kings reigning with the Antichrist. But then it says that Daniel saw in his vision a stone come out of nowhere and strike the image. It became dust, but the stone that came out of nowhere became a great mountain and filled the entire earth and became a kingdom. And this kingdom, it says, will last forever and ever and ever and ever. It's a reference to uh, the stone. So, verse 18, I take great exception with Roman Catholicism, saying this is their uh, pat answer that the very first pope was Peter. Here's how you disarm your Catholic friends in a loving way. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. This is, um, as the church grew and developed, there were leaders, there were pastors that were sent out. Acts 15 is a problem because Gentiles now are getting saved. And there were those uh, Pharisees and some of the Jewish believers, uh, verse 5 but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. So here's Pharisees that actually accepted Christ. They rose up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So now we have to have a powwow. They had a, a great big meeting. And um, verse 6, they got the apostles and the elders together to consider the matter. And uh, everybody had a say on what to do um, they listened to Paul and Barnabas testify that God had deeded, worked wonders among the Gentiles. And um, verse thirteen, after they became silent, James answered, "said Men and brethren, listen to me." Now, um, let's go to from verse thirteen to verse nineteen. He he's giving what he thinks should be done, but then he says from a position of authority after he had everybody share what they thought should be given to the uh, Gentiles. Basically a letter telling them to refrain from uh, things offered to idols and from fornication. Therefore I judge. Slam dunk, end of discussion. Peter was not the first leader in Jerusalem. James was. This is James. James the brother of Jesus. And he spoke with, um, with making a final call in his decision. And um, he said, I think it's a good idea that, we, that I, I, this is what we're going to do. And he made the judgment call. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And remember that after this in verse, now let's go back to 16. He says to him, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Is he speaking that just to Peter? Just turn the page and go to chapter 18, verse 18 of Matthew. Assuredly, I say to you, who is he speaking to? All of the disciples. This is not just given to Peter, this authority. But exactly the same words that he said to Peter in Matthew 16, in Matthew eighteen eighteen, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You can lead a person to the Lord, and you have the authority, if they believe the gospel, to say, I have the authority to tell you, number one, your sins are forgiven. Number two, your name's just been put into the book of life. Number three, there really are angels that are having a party right now. Because you've exercised your free will to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Peter had the authority. All the disciples have the authority. And anybody, any Christian, has the authority to lead a person to the Lord. Good place for an amen. It's including all of us, gang. This is not singling out Peter. Um... That's why it's important to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. If you just take one scripture out and um, let's see, what year did they uh, forbid people from reading the scriptures? Let me just check my list here. Reading the Bible forbidden, 1229. Um, uh, Confession to priests, 1215. Indulgence is sold, 1190. Um, This was a, money racket thing that built St. Peter's Basilica. And with the idea of purgatory coming into the picture, I mean, if I believe for one second that, you know, if you, if you ask your ad, average Christian friend, when Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins did he die for? Without exception, they'll tell you all of them. Don't you agree? Just ask them, they'll tell you. Did Jesus die for all your sins? Yeah, he died for all my sins. Why is there a purgatory? Uh. (laughs) It was, um, there was no, I I did a little research today. I wanted to know who was the second pope if Peter was the first one. Because nothing was happening in Rome until Constantine became a believer. He was an emperor. And he enforced Christianity. And um, if I believe for a second that um, either my mother or my father Uh, didn't have all their sins forgiven, and they're in purgatory, I'd empty out my bank account, I'd sell my house, I'd do whatever it would take, if you really believe that. The thing of it is, nobody believed that until um, Declaration of Saints for a thousand years, and it just became part of their tradition after a thousand years. I'm not going to spend all night on this one verse, except to say <clears throat> that this does not apply to Peter. It applies to anybody who is born again. Peter is the little stone. The rock is Jesus. And um, he's given us the keys of the kingdom. And um, let's take it in verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. All right, 21 through... 23, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples, now this was our text from last Sunday, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and then rise again the third day. Um, The disciples were not prepared for this at this time he repeated five times the fact that he was going to Jerusalem to die. In in the four different Gospels, there's five times that he clearly told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And every time they heard it, it was just like this. Because Peter heard the kill part, so, Peter's got to remember, Peter's on a roll now. He's feeling pretty good about himself because of the revelation that he just had. And so, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke the creator of the universe. <laughs> I have to laugh because foot and mouth disease with Peter's. Um, he's going to do it before, as we get into chapter 17 uh, again tonight. Next time, the Father in heaven's going to rebuke him. And basically says, far be it from you, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. You called me Rocky, remember? Not on my watch. You don't have to worry about a thing, Lord. Nobody's going to be going after you. And the Lord turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me because you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Sunday I called the message God's way or man's way. Man's way here was, don't worry about it, Lord. I'll take care of it. God's plan was the very reason I came. Seven times in John's gospel. My hour has not yet come. But his whole purpose and reason for coming was to be the Passover lamb that would be killed on Passover. As as it was foretold in the scriptures, the very reason for his coming and now Peter is going to hinder that from happening. So he, the Lord rebukes him here, and then he in verse um, um, twenty-four through twenty-six. No, this is such an important, especially verse twenty-six, such an important verse. <clears throat> if anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man, profit, if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a saying I've said a hundred times from this pulpit, but it's so true. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only was done for Christ's last. That's the only thing that's going to remain. Our brother John is in heaven. A week ago Saturday, he was on Earth, and um, we'll do his memorial service tomorrow, but he's already been in heaven for a week. It always makes me wonder about the timing and getting to heaven. Has he been there a week? Well, how can he be there a week if there's no time in heaven? Heaven is eternal. It's outside of time, space, and matter. It's the constant always. Is he there yet? Yeah, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but there's no time gap. So let's say the Lord takes us in a rapture tomorrow before the funeral. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> and uh, so who gets there first? Or do we all get there at the same time if there is no time? Shouldn't that blow your mind? Sometime, <laughs> just try to think about it. It's just pow, how 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 do you? I can I can um, I can fathom God always being. What blows my mind is that He is always going to be, because I have I can identify with things in the past, but I can't identify with forever in the future. It's beyond my comprehension. That's why the Bible says his ways are past finding out. Go ahead, try to figure out eternity. And um, him always existing. Before the foundation of the world, it says, he knew you in Psalm 139. And he charted all your days out before there was none. David said, he knew me before I was in the womb. Well, how can you know him when you're not even born yet? Well, that's another head spinner. And he says, His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea. You take that literally? Yes, I take that literally. But only if you have enough time in eternity. His thoughts are continually thinking about you. Wow. All right. So what can a man give in exchange for the the soul? Um, That's why... The admonition, Colossians 3, verse 1 again, if you're taking notes. If you're born again, then we should be seeking those things which are above where Christ is. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. Don't take any thought about tomorrow. Boy, do we take thought for tomorrow. Do you realize how liberating that verse is if you take it seriously and literally? Just think, if you can only think about what's going on for today. Now I say, well, we're going to go to Israel in November. I can say that. But I have to preface it by saying, Lord willing. You can say, Lord willing, we'll do this and this and this and this. Lord willing. But otherwise, I'm not supposed to take thought for tomorrow. Here's his rationale. Um, Because tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Then he goes, you can't add one inch to your height by worrying about it. Somebody here worried about something going on tomorrow? can if you want to, but it's not going to change one thing. And how liberating it is to take that verse literally, and uh, what goes along with it is, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. So if on one hand I'm not worried about what happened yesterday, I'm supposed to forget about that. I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow. I can only concentrate on what's going on today. Believe me, gang, if you take that seriously and literally, when Jesus said you'll know the truth and it'll set you free, this is what, this is what real Christianity is supposed to look like. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, Lord willing, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and, but in the meantime, if it's bothering me, then when Jesus, it wasn't a suggestion. Take no thought for tomorrow. That was a direct quote from the Lord. Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for today is is the evil thereof. You get enough on your plate to think about today. I just think it's a wonderful, freeing, glorious scripture. And then again, the rationale Um, What can you give for your soul? And uh, the answer is absolutely nothing. Verse 27. It should be the end of chapter 16, and verse 28 should be the first verse of chapter 17. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you take that seriously... Then there's coming a time where we will be rewarded for those things that we did do for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3 is a judgment seat of Christ. It's also called the Beba seat judgment. This is only for Christians. It, It is not a place where sin is an issue. It is a place where you will be rewarded for the things that you did while you were living on this planet. Picking it up in verse 13. Each one's work will become manifested for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one of its work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Remember, the Lord says when you do a good deed, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And he he says because your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't do it before men because then you'll have your reward. So in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. There will be some Christians in heaven that have only lived for themselves. They've done nothing for the kingdom, nor do they want to. Are they still saved? Yeah, it says so right here. They have nothing in heaven. They will suffer loss, but he himself Will be saved, yet as though through the fire. Oh, well, what do you mean through the fire? Well, in Matthew seven seven, where it says, "Judge not, and you won't be judged." What the Lord, what that actually means, is that I should never question why you do what you do for the Lord. Why? Because I can't look in your heart, and I can't tell why you're doing what you're doing. But I know one who can. And that's the all-seeing eyes that will reveal here where the Lord knows why I do what I do. And what you want it to be is what what, um, Paul would say later, I love Jesus. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. I have to teach the Bible. I have to. And if I said, I, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'd be like Jeremiah. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I would be like jeremiah said i am not going to do this anymore i can not help but doing it. It's just going to come out anyway, even if I say I don't want to. And, um, but the motivation should be one, simply because you love the Lord. And you want other people to have what you have. So 1 Corinthians 3 is a reference to going back to Matthew 16, where it says the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and he will reward each one according to his works. This is the beam of seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. Now, verse 28, the Lord says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. No, no uh, chapter break here. Now, six days Later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and they brought him on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Verse 28 of chapter 16 and verse 1 of chapter 17 is what he's referring to. Peter, James, and John were there and they go to a high mountain and he's transfigured. The word transfigured is the word metamorphosis, which means a change of form or structure. Uh, like the best um, example of it is—they call it metamorphosis—is when those little uh, caterpillars, the little fuzzy ones, they go, they crawl around the ground, and then they spin their little cocoon. And in a matter of millions and millions and millions of years later, they come out. And they're this beautiful creature that can fly, a monarch butterfly. No, it takes two weeks. It's called metamorphosis. And what was something that crawled on the ground and could only eat, all of a sudden, in two weeks, it can fly, mate. And monarchs have it all figured out, the ones from New Hampshire... Some are in connection with with the ones in Montana, and they all meet in the same mountain range outside of Mexico City for the winter. They're smart on top of it. (laughs) And this is a good one just to do a little research on, because there's just billions of monarch butterflies. If you see a monarch butterfly, you can wave to them and say, uh, you know, See your buddies in, in in Mexico because that's where they're all that's where they're all headed. Um, as long as we're talking about metamorphosis, go to First Corinthians fifteen because we're going to go through a metamorphosis. The same word, First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty-one. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Except for Elijah, Philip had a rapture experience, but he didn't go to heaven. Enoch says he walked with God and he was taken. So there's sort of an Old Testament type of rapture. But pertaining to the church, the church age, according to the book of Romans, says when the fullness of time comes. In other words, um, Um, there's a set number of people. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then the Lord says uh, he's going to take them, take them out, and then Israel is going to be saved. So as we talk about dispensations or different time frames in the Bible, the church had a birth. It was called Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. But it also has an end. And here Paul is talking about it. He calls it a mystery. A mystery about when that last person gets saved, when that, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. God knows who that person is. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour. But it says, behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. The word death is never used for a believer. The Lord told his disciples, Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going to go wake him up. Well, Lazarus was dead. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed this is the same word that we have back in, in um, um, chapter uh, Romans, uh, Matthew 16. This is the same word metamorphosis right here. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be metamorphosized. For this Corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has been put on on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, we shall then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here is Paul's attitude about death. Oh, death, where's your sting? O oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brother, because of, because we're not going to die, and the Lord has a plan for the church not to go through the time of of His wrath. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, we just read that back in Matthew. All right, let's go back to chapter 17. And um, we have Jesus transfigured. Again, the word is uh, metamorphosis. And then all of a sudden, behold, Moses and Elijah appear to them talking with him. So Jesus is... Um, clothed, I believe, in this at this time. Um, personally, I believe he's, he's clothed in light. I believe Adam and Eve were clothed in light before they sinned. And um, now Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, we can make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elisha. And he's just rambling on. And while he was rambling on, giving more credit to Moses and Elijah than to the Lord, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, cloud saying, Hold it, Peter, this is my beloved son. This is actually a rebuke to Peter, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And the whole question is, what, what is this big meeting, and why is Moses and Elijah um, appearing with, with Jesus on this mountain? And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So this is what I call a mountaintop experience. Seeing Jesus glow, (laughs) and here's Moses and Elijah. Well, what's that all about? Well, the disciples had questions. So in verse 10, they start with the questions, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then Jesus answered and said to them, now notice the future tense here. He says, Elijah truly is. Is coming. Well, if somebody is coming, it means he isn't there yet. Is everybody with me? So this is future tense. So he's saying Elijah is coming. He hasn't come yet. And first, that he will restore all things. But he says, But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that they spoke to them of John the Baptist. The last book of the Old Testament, turn to it quickly. My time's running away from me. Malachi, chapter 4. This is how the Old Testament ends. Elijah, of course, has already been taken into a chariot. Remember Elisha's prayer. What do you want, Elijah? said, Elijah, I want a double portion of what you have. That's what I want. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. But I tell you what, if you see me get taken up into heaven today and you actually see it happen, your prayer will be answered. 2 Kings 2 verse 15 says, When the sons of the prophets which were uh, to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah does now rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. If you look at these last two verses, he says, Behold, I will send you, Elisha the prophet, before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Well, that's exactly what they said of John the Baptist. Who are you? Well, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Well, what are you here for? Turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, hearts of the children back to their fathers. Well, hold it. That was supposed to be Elijah fulfilled that. Well, in the same way that um, um, the spirit of Elijah rested upon Elisha, the spirit of Elijah also rested on John the Baptist. And so this is what we call a double prophecy. It has a double meaning. It was partially fulfilled with John the Baptist. And then it says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So verse 5, he's going to send Elijah uh, right before the great tribulation period. All right, let's go from there to Matthew chapter 11. And let's connect the dots. Matthew 11. Uh, verses 9. It's talking about John the Baptist. But what did you go out to see? John the Baptist was a man's man. A prophet? And I say, yes, and more than a prophet. For who, this is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. That's Malachi chapter three, verse one. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John And then he says, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come again, future tense. And if you have ears to hear, then hear. Well, let's show what I believe was a staff meeting on the Mount of Transfiguration. Turn to Revelation chapter 11. The tribulation period, with all the stuff that's going on, could start at any time. In Revelation 11, we have the two witnesses. They will appear right at the beginning of the the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period of time. And in verse 3, it says, I will give power to my two witnesses. They are Moses and Elijah. They were meeting with the Lord and some sort of staff meeting about future events. And they will prophesy. Prophesy for 1,260 days. That's exactly three and a half years. It's the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of of the whole earth. That's a prophecy from Zechariah 4, 2. If anybody wants to harm them, fire will proceed from their mouth and devour their enemies. If anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And you go, well, that's crazy. It's not going to rain for 1,260 days or three and a half years? Has that ever happened before? Answer is what? It absolutely has happened before. Under Ahab, Elijah goes to him and says, look, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And we, Jesus said, And also James said that um, Elijah was a man just like you and me, but when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and one-half years. And that was the Old Testament. And I believe the reason the Lord allowed that to happen is so when we read a verse like this in the New Testament, we don't go, that's crazy. No, because it's happened before. So that's Elijah, but then there's the other guy has power to turn the water into blood. Sounds like Moses to me. Maybe Charlton Hested, but probably Moses for sure. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that sends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. But not till the first three and a half years is up. We have to go back and finish up our chapter. Matthew chapter 17. I like to call this mountaintop experience and what happens after mountaintop experiences. When when they had come down, okay, now they're off the mountaintop with the mountaintop experience. Um, They came to a man kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, and he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. The disciples came to Jesus, private, and saying, Well, why couldn't we cast him out? And he said, Because of your unbelief. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And then he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Let me just make this point. There are going to be days when you'll be walking with the Lord. His presence will be so strong you could feel like you can cut it with a knife. And I call that a mountaintop experience. And then there will be days like John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived, who's in prison, And he sends his disciples out and says, go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah. And I go, what, John? You're the guy that's supposed to be telling everybody else he is the one, and now you're doubting? Well, I like this because it's so real and honest. Because you can have a mountaintop experience one day like Moses in the burning bush, and coming down from the mountain, what's at the bottom of the hill? People drunk and naked dancing around a golden calf. Mountaintop experience. Then here's a demon-possessed boy that the disciples can't do a thing about it. Having a hard day. And the Lord says, come on, guys, where's your faith? Now, we have to finish this up because I'm past my time. And when they had come to Capernaum, verse 22, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He'll be killed, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. This is the third time he's told them. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes? For their own sons are from strangers. And Peter said, from strangers. And Jesus said, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we have fed them, go fishing, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened his mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Uh, Take that and give it to them for me and you. Wouldn't it be great to have the Lord around around tax time? (laughs) I'll close with a quick story. We eat St. Peter's fish, that's what we call it, on the Sea of Galilee. And what I like to do is take a a shekel. And because they serve the fish with the head on, I like to take a coin and just stick it in there. And uh, it's it's a great memory shot of uh, going to Israel. And what, what happened here. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you as we have gone through these verses tonight. And um, uh, just knowing that you're the solid rock that we can stand upon. That you change not. For exhorting us, Lord, not to invest in the things of this world. Because they're temporal and they're passing. But to invest in things that are eternal and that there's nothing more valuable than our soul, and um, your admonishment and encouragement to us to make sure that um, we're feeding their soul. As you said, we can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. Thank you for your word tonight. Bless your people as we go out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.